When buying your first home, it's essential to arm yourself with the right questions to ask a real estate agent. This step is crucial because the information you gather from the agent can significantly impact your decision-making process and your ability to negotiate. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about questions you should ask the agent. But before we get into that, what is your special house this week, Melbourne? Um, Melbourne, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> well, it's actually my house. This is my office. So just introducing you to, I'm going to do a tour one day for everybody who played along with the What's Megan's Renovation Up To. This is my office. She's moved in. It looks I like she's working in the dark, in. but it's- she's not. She's got black curtains. Yeah, yeah, to get the lighting off the screen, right? You know how it goes with podcasting anyway. Don't worry. Yes. And I've been sitting in my office every every week that we do this. It's very, very boring. <laughs> so I'll have a different background from different rooms and outside and, and um, you know, give you a kind of virtual tour over the next coming weeks. Cool. All righty. Well, let's kick off with the things that we should be asking agents. Yeah, look, it's it's an essential part. Asking the right questions of agents, it's an essential part of the home buying process. And it isn't just what will they sell it for and why are they selling? You know, those are some really simple but not very sophisticated questions. They don't really give you a lot of information to work with. So engaging with real estate agents should really be a really you know, very collaborative process with your questions guiding the conversation to get the information that you need. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people forget agents are people and they they like dealing with people they like as much as you like people dealing with people you like. And in this process of buying property, sometimes the market can move in a way that actually gives us a little bit of an advantage by being nice. And so how we ask these questions and how we engage with them is really important. But we want to understand, you know, we want to make these uh, inspections meaningful. We want to understand more about the property, more about the background, more about the backstory, because it's one of the things that I often talk about, you know, in some of my videos is that, and we probably say it, I'm sure we've said it in this podcast, is that the agent always knows more than you do as the buyer. 
an agent always knows, knows more than a buyer's agent knows. As a buyer's agent role is is really to piece the pick, you know, find those the pieces, pieces of the, of the puzzle, puzzle. Yeah, put them all together. And so you're doing that as a buyer. So you you know you want to find out about the property's history, the local area, the and the buying process, and all of these things are really important for you to gain a comprehensive understanding of what to do. So here are our top ten questions. Now, now disclaimer, because you you're not going to stand there and fire off these ten questions to an agent. Oh God, no! Uh, but you know, when we're pulling together our negotiating strategy, we have a list of questions that we have to in our group when we're assessing um, the the property and also putting together the strategy. You have to, as a buyer's agent, have covered off each of these questions. So at some point during the process, you have to gather this information so that you have a holistic view of the property, the process, and um, the you know everything that you need to, to actually go forward in negotiation. So this is helpful in pulling all of that information together for you so that you've got a comprehensive view of what the property is. And our first one, and it's obvious, it really is, but it's not just the question that matters, it's what you do with the answer. And, and, and it's what is the price guide? It might be advertised, but it not, might not be. Uh, absolutely. Well, look, so obviously, if the property is advertised a private treaty, sale or private treaty, it's going to have an asking price. No, it's not. It's not obvious, Veronica, because remember in other states. I know, but I'm just I'm just going to run through the different types of prices. <laughs> so just bear with me, right? So if it's just literally a simple for sale at X asking price, then that's sort of a bit obvious, right? But sometimes it's for sale and it's got a range. What the hell does that mean? Or sometimes in Queensland, if it's got a range or if it's going you to auction. You can't have a range. There's no, there's no range. So There's either an asking price or nothing, nothing. in Queensland. Blank. Like it's either one or the other. <laughs> and so in other states, if they give you a price guide, what does that even mean? But so here's the thing. The answer is not, you don't go, oh, they tell you, oh, what's the price guide? 750. You don't go, oh, great. That's worth 750. Or the asking price is 750. It's how you interpret it. And one of the things to ask for is, oh, great. So what recent sales are you relying on or what are the comparable sales? So that's more meaningful. But even that's not directly going to give you all the answers you need, is it? No. And and in, in the states like Queensland where the agent can't give you any kind of price indication unless there is a specific asking price. Yep, work that out. It's confusing. Um, the comparable sales, asking for the comparable sales, which are what has sold recently that's similar to this, um, those comparable sales have to have been approved by the owner. So they're not always necessarily going to, they might be skewed a little bit to the low side in order to get people excited. They might be a little bit skewed to the high side because the owner has some price expectations they want to put out to the marketplace. So you need to actually do some work around those comparable sales once you get that information. So, and this is the thing, it's the number one question, but you cannot take the answer at face value. You have to apply your own research and your own thinking to this. And this is why we recommend you download our free mini course if you haven't already done this, which is how to price a property. Uh, So we'll include the link in the show notes so you can just download that free little mini course to teach you how to do it because you got to ask the question, right? But then that's You just don't take the answer at face value. It's a very much a starting point. Right, number two. What is sales history? And what I mean by that isn't how many times has it sold? That is an interesting question. But how long has it actually been on the market? And an agent, a good agent, might say, well, I've had it since, you know, two weeks ago. 
the marketing campaign for the auction started two weeks ago. But you also want to dig in a little bit deeper and say, are you the first agent or has there been other agents that have tried to sell the property previously? Now, what that tells you is a lot about what the owner's price expectations might have been in relation to what the market was prepared to pay earlier. Finding that previous agent and milking them for information could give you a lot of information about what the owners want. Now, obviously, if you are very, very active in your market, when you go and look at a property, you're going to know whether it literally has just come on or it's been on forever. So you're going to know that. But if you're just starting looking in an area that you're not familiar with, there's a good, ch- you know, they, they, these things do happen that every listing isn't necessarily a brand new listing. Quite often, if there's a term, it's called expired listings and some agents go after them. So, so you've got to be aware that that can happen. Um, some of this information is available online too on domain and realestate.com.au. You can actually look at the sales history and look at what properties have sold for in the past. So that's quite useful. And sometimes you can use that if you know that information, you can ask the agent and that gives you a sense of how forthcoming are they going to be with information. Like if they just tell you all the stuff you already know, brilliant, great. This is a good agent who's really professional and will answer my questions. If they dodge it or don't know or whatever, then obviously you can make a call on that as well. But knowing how long that property has been on the market for is is very telling indeed, as Megan has said. Um, and also watching whether the asking price has been adjusted in that time is really telling. So they might have got it wrong. They might have overpriced it and now it's priced to sell. So there's lots you can sort of deduce from asking these questions. Yeah. And did it start with an asking price and then move to an auction campaign or was it listed with an asking price with a previous agent? Now, of course, when you're in a fast moving market and things are selling, um, there's probably not a lot of history there, but it is, you know, in a slower market where things are taking maybe 60, 90, 100 days to sell, then there might be some history there that gives you some intel that you can use. Um, And asking whether it's been adjusted is such a valuable one because it tells you a little bit about how prepared the owner is to listen to market feedback. Uh, And we've we've got some, our next one, which actually rolls in from, from asking about whether it's been adjusted is number three question to ask an agent is, has there been any offers? (laughs) <laughs> because uh, and and they may well say yes no or or you know I, I can't reveal that what doesn't matter but you want to know if there's been offers were they verbal so if someone just sort of offhandedly said oh look you know I'd I'd pay 800,000 for it that could be a neighbor who's talking up the values in the area it's not really a serious offer and you want to really dig in to see if any of that price feedback that has been given whether that's been presented to the owner verbally in writing, and what feedback did the owner give? A cool thing um, too is, you know, if they say, "Oh, yes, there was an offer of, you know, six hundred thousand for argument's sake," well, <laughs> why didn't they sell it? <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of it's. I, I like doing that with an agent because it sort of puts them on the back foot. What, what do you mean? That's a high offer? You know what I mean? You sort of get a reaction in terms of, well, well, because it was too low, or. Or they, or they get a bit embarrassed, like, well, yes, they should have taken it. You know, like they're sort of, you always got to look for the non-verbal cues as well as just what they tell you. So, um, you know, that is one thing that I like to, to chuck in there. Oh, that's amazing. Why didn't they go for that one? Yeah. Well. The, the one that amuses me that is the response that you sometimes get from, from an agent is, look, if they got that, if that was the best that they achieved on auction day, oh, then yeah. they might well sell at that. It's like, well, why didn't they take it now? Yeah, they'll meet the market. Yeah, but they obviously it's not what they want. 
you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly right. Question four, are you or the owner aware of any issues, maintenance, repairs, stigmas, flooding, murders? I mean, exactly. Stuff can happen in property. And you've got to say, are you or the owner aware? Because it is quite possible that if the agent hasn't asked the question of an owner around these things, that they now have to because the question has been asked of the owner. So if the agent says, I'm not aware of anything, then you would definitely need to follow up and say, can you ask the owner and specify what it is that you're looking for? Yeah. You know, different states have different laws, as we talk about in this podcast all the time. I'll talk to New South Wales because, of course, that's where I am. And there's a thing called a material fact um, law in New South Wales. And that is there are certain things that the the, um, agent has to tell you, like they have to tell you if there was a meth lab there. They have to, there are certain things, right, that they are prescribed in the law that they have to tell you. It took a long time before this became really clear. But, and some of it's fuzzy. Some of it's really fuzzy. Like, um, so it is always good to, to ask the question and see what you get. And I think, too, that you have to be thinking, okay, is there anything that might have happened in this property or to this property that might make me wary as a buyer? You know, that's a nice tricky question to ask an agent because, like, technically they're meant to answer those ones. And if they don't have the answers, they have to ask the owner. Yeah. But if you don't ask the questions, they haven't got a reveal. Mm. Exactly right. Yeah, and that's the hard thing about it and, and certainly what we talk about a lot in your first home buyer guide is how do you get this information when you possibly could have thought that it should be provided to you? You know, how many times have we heard buyers lament, well, no one told me that, you know, and the, and this is about arming people with the right information so they are educated to ask the right questions because at the end of the day, you are the only person who really is responsible for asking the right questions to get the information that you need. I just thought of another question we could add so we could have 11 questions here. It's along these same, so along these same lines though. It's like if you're buying a strata property or community title property, um, are there any special levies coming up? You know, that's that's a, a absolutely fair question now. And most agents go, oh, I don't know. I haven't read the strata report. It's like, I don't care. I've just asked you the question and I now I want you to answer. Can you check with the owner, please? So these are things that I've heard so many buyers buying apartments and townhouses and villa units and then say, oh, and then I got slapped with this big bill and I didn't even know it was coming. Well, this stuff is discoverable. It is discoverable. And it is just one of one of those questions that you could ask an agent because they are, they are the sorts of things that if you did, you probably wouldn't buy it. Or if you did, it might adjust what price you'd pay for it. Exactly, yes. So it might still be a great property. And as you say, the, um, the, the strata have planned for the repair of whatever the issue is. But you might say, all right, well, if it's going to cost me $10,000 extra, then my price is going down by $10,000. So I have that available to pay that. And then I know the issue is dealt with and I don't have to think about it again. So, yeah, it might be a showstopper. It might actually just be a price adjustment. Yeah. And sort of leads into our fifth question, which is, are there any unapproved additions? Now, this can apply in Strata, but not as often. It's more in, in a house, standalone house. And does the owner have any relevant approvals for review as well? Like, so also, are they trying to get something approved? You know, sometimes they've been trying to and they haven't been able to. They haven't been able to. Yeah. Yeah. So these are things that could be quite useful. You can find some of this stuff out on the council website. So you look in the development uh, development planning planning and development section of most council websites 
and you will see whether people have been lodging plans and not getting them approved. And and we do in your first home buyer guide the whole course. We teach you how to find out all the things you need to know. Let me tell you. But asking the agent, um, it, it's interesting because some agents they just don't want to know. They don't want you to ask them tricky questions because they really don't want to be bothered. And you know, as buyers agents, we're sometimes pressuring these people to get information that they don't want to be responsible for. But heck, it's their job for God's sake. You know, this is something they might want to shirk away from and not get into the nitty gritty. You don't want to be stuck with a property that has got additions or um, work that's been done that has been unapproved. Yep. I just want to go back to your point about strata because this is something that you've mentioned um, in previous podcasts. And some of these little signs might be timber flooring. Ah, yes. Timber flooring does require body corporate approval, particularly if you're in a high rise. There's absolutely um, uh, soundproofing requirements when you do timber floors or tile floors. It might be an air conditioning unit. You must have strata approval to put an air conditioning unit in where it's external and can be seen by others. So, So there are definitely some things that you need to have that radar on and ask the questions. Oh, I can see there's an air conditioning unit. Has that got strata approval? 100%. I don't even know why I said that, Megan, because I should know this. <laughs> Let me tell you. So you were focused on on carports and decks. I was. And- I was just thinking, yeah, I was thinking about houses. For some reason, of course. I mean, there was one uh, townhouse that one of my team bought for a client and it's it's in a fairly sprawled complex and it's interesting because it that there's a lot of variety within the complex so it's not like this huge complex of towners all cookie cutter all the same they're all very different and over the years they've pretty much all been renovated significantly so the actual contract for sale for these townhouses has to include all the bylaws and every time there's a renovation there has to be a new bylaw passed right so this is one of the things about strata and so literally the contract for sale for this um, townhouse was in, it's something like five reams of paper and had to be carried around a box. You know, like you get your box of photocopy paper, has to be carried around a box because- Because it, of the renovation bylaws. <laughs> I was like, why the hell is it so big? It's because everyone's renovated and that begins a bylaw. It's a bit ridiculous. But anyway, that's that's a great evidence of whether somebody's renovation is, is approved. I have to tell yeah, you, how thick bylaws. the bylaws are in New South Wales. That's funny, right? Let's go on to, well, we're kind of at number seven now because no, number you six. threw a new one Oh, in. no, I, it's a part B if one of those A part B, questions. okay. Yeah, no, yeah. that sounds good to me. I like that. Now, can you tell me about the neighbourhood? Remember, you're asking open questions to have a collaborative conversation. So the more that you can find out about not just the immediate neighbourhood and neighbours, but the neighbourhood itself, you know, the schools and and um, agents awesome at finding out about community events and you know every year they have a great halloween street party but if you're not into halloween that might have an effect on you <laughs> you know if it's a big thing so finding out those kinds of community kind of focus things and how far is it to walk to, where's the good cafe around here again just an open collaborative conversation can reveal things to you and then you can drive off and check them out and have a look at them and and talk to other neighbors as well some agents are like ambassadors for their area. Yeah, they are, aren't they? They sponsor the school fates and Yeah, yeah. And you know, and they really are. Just as you were saying that I was thinking one in particular, she gets so excited to recommend her favorite restaurant and her favorite butcher and this and that, you know. And it can be very useful for those that are really passionate about the area. Some some actually 
they just see it as a job and they don't get involved in any of that stuff and you'll notice the difference. Um, but you also like to deal with uh, – um, I like to, you know, to, as a buyer's agent anyway, I like to work with those agents that are real local advocates real because they actually are a bit more going to be more trustworthy because they're around for the long haul and they see themselves as sort of like a local en- entity as well, a local identity. And so it's all about asking these questions. It's it's not just the simple question we're asking. We're actually thinking, well, who are we dealing with? How open and honest are they? What information am I getting? How important is, or how reliable is that information as well? So these these are all, there's all hints in in every question we're giving you here. I love agents who work in the area they live in mm. because there's you know not only is the in depth um, knowledge there, their belief in the neighbourhood and the community is quite strong too because they're they're, they're living it day to day. Totally, just don't discount a house because the agent doesn't. You know, agents no. they sell everywhere. They sell everywhere. You know, it's almost borderless um, sales now. <laughs> All right, let's go to question seven. Are you or the owner, remember, not just the agent, are you or the owner aware of any planned renovations or developments in the area? Now, this can be so important because some people sell because their neighbours are going to renovate and it's going to affect their amenity. Now, it might affect them, but it might not affect you in the same way because you haven't lived there for the last 20 years. But to be aware of it before it happens is pretty important, so it's not a big surprise afterwards. They might also have been fighting with the neighbours over getting the approvals in place. <laughs> yeah, neighbourly so, relations yeah, may have sounded. They don't like them anymore. Um, you know, there, there was one property recently, for instance, one of my team was looking at a property for a client and, and you know, we got a whiff of some, some argy-bargy between the neighbours and then so we had to start sleuthing out to find out, well, which one's the troublemaker? You know, <laughs> is it which the one one's going to be left behind? Is a good one going or staying? You know, oh, it's a bit like body corporates, it was strata, um owners corporations, isn't it? Because if there is a lot of argy bargy, and you're seeing that in the the minutes of the meetings, and it's actually the person who's selling that is the problem, you might find that it's quite a nice environment to be in after that person goes. Yeah, we've definitely been involved in some of those purchases. It it pays to do your homework. But once again, the agent is unlikely they're going to give you all this detail. There's just going to be clues in what they say and then you've got to go out and do more work. Um, now, the eighth is the question is a very, very important question and that is what is your sales process? So if it's an auction, that's fine, but don't assume that's all the same. No. Well, auction, if they're not going to budge on auction, it's definitely going to get to auction. But even then you've got in-rooms or on-site or, uh, you know, or will, online. Will you take pre-auction offers to the owner? That's the important question to ask some. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's really not so much because the thing is they get they feel those questions all the time. Probably a better way to ask it is what will you do if you get a pre-auction offer that's strong enough for the agent, for the owner to sell? Because it went, people are always saying, oh, will you take pre-auction offers? What will you do if you get an offer that is strong enough for the owner to sell? Because then you want to know what their process is. What do they do then? How do they notify other people? What do you need to do to show you're interested so you get notified? Um, and they might say, we don't take pre-auction offers. And then you go, well, okay, so we'll go to auction. Or they might say, well, blah, 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 blah. And they just they explain exactly what uh, they will do. Other times they'll fluff about and you think, 
they don't actually have a process. So it's really important for you to know this as well, because if you're going to make a pre-auction offer, and we teach all of this in the course, right? Because this is actually something not to be just done willy-nilly after listening to this podcast episode, but there is a process you go through if you're going to make a pre-auction offer. And you starting point is understanding what the how the agent is going to handle things. Yeah. There's more to it because obviously private treaty is different again. Yeah, and multiple offers is a, is a really big one where private treaty is prevalent and it's a hot market when it's a seller's market. So I don't know that there, apart from off-market and pre-market purchases that we've done in the last two years, I don't know that we have purchased an on-market property that hasn't been involved in multiple offers because of the lack of stock and the strong demand. And every agent handles it differently. There is no legislation around how to handle multiple offers. There is best practice guides around how to handle um, multiple offers in different states, and they usually come from the the real estate institutes in the various states. Uh, But understanding how an agent is going to handle a multiple offer is absolutely vital because what you don't want to be is the person who turns around and says, but I would have offered more after being told to put in your best and final offer. Because sometimes it feels a little bit like, "Mm, really, are are there other offers? I'm not really sure. I might play this game and see what happens. And, you know, if you end up the loser because you've played a game that you didn't understand the rules of, then really you've only got yourself to blame. So understanding how that process will work so that you can use your best endeavours to keep within your budget, but to, to put everything on the table that you're prepared to in a genuine multiple offer. And look, we have on occasions, you know, we, we know all the agents, we know which ones we can, you know, they're straight down the line, we, we, we know what's happening. There's others that we might not have dealt with very often that we go, look, okay, so you're making me sign a multiple offer form. Can you please sign this as a declaration that you actually have received other written offers? Um, puts us on the same playing field. You've got to have a, a fair bit of experience to put that one in play because that <laughs> can be a put, bit off-putting. Um, but it's, you know, you want it, I want it, let's, let's put it all on the table unbelievably important. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, and this is, you know, what Megan says is absolutely true that um, every agent has a different process and there's no one legislated process. Generally, though, there is one thing that's pretty common across the whole country and that is once an offer is received, it has to be um, passed on to the owner as soon as practicable, right? Um, But they might not do that with verbal offers because they're saying, no, it's got to be in writing. You know, so you got to sort of say, well, what do you class as an offer? And so this is all very sort of nebulous, isn't it? And uh, as I said, it's one of the things that we, we teach this whole process and it's very important to get it clear. We also guide all of our students if they want to join us for Campfire every Wednesday afternoon and, and bring their negotiation challenges to us, we guide them through it because this is really, really, you know, it's a minefield, isn't it? But understanding the toolkit toolkit of of ways of dealing with things. Absolutely. But this is why it's such an important question. What is your sales process? Right. Let's look at number nine. Have the owners already purchased? You know, most people ask, why are they selling? Yeah. You know, and and it doesn't give you a lot of information. But if you get a little bit more specific, then you can open up the conversation. So have the owners already purchased? They either have or they haven't. And then it can lead to other questions. It makes me laugh. So when you've got some agents that'll just go, well, yeah, they have. And other agents, no, they haven't. And other agents were like, well, I can't tell you. And you go, oh, well, that means I have. Because <laughs> if, <laughs> if they hadn't, you'd just say no. You know, so it's sort and of it funny. And it affects their motivation. And, and motivation is a big part of 
how willing an owner is to meet the market, to meet the offers that are being made by, whether it's, it's through the auction process or through private treaty process. The motivation of the seller is one of the biggest reasons that they will meet the market if they have had higher price expectations previously. Yes. Do they need to sell? I mean, that. I mean, you can sort of add that to it. Do they need to sell? Because quite often what owners will say is, oh, we don't need to sell. We can always rent it out. Oh, you know, do all these sort of things. But most people need to sell once they've purchased. purchased. And, they, and even if they don't need to, they want to, you know, because life is easier once they've got that huge debt off their shoulders. So, um, so but it is a great question. Remembering that, not why are they selling, but have the owners already purchased? And it does lead to our 10th question, which is a very important one. It's around terms. Yeah, and, and terms are something that you aren't often able to negotiate in auction, but you can try. But with a private treaty, absolutely everything's up for negotiation. So the question is, what is the owner, owner's ideal settlement period? Now, in different states, there's general kind of settlement periods, 45 days, 30 days, 60 days. You might find generally that's when properties settle. But if you understand what the owner would prefer, you might start to dig in a little bit more around motivation. So if there's a date that needs to be achieved for settlement, you can work backwards from there. Absolutely. You know, if there isn't a date or they say, look, they haven't found anything yet, a long settlement would really suit them, then you can start to think really creatively about how you can put together a settlement that might get them attracted to an offer that's less than somebody else's if you're in a multiple offer situation. So this is an unbelievably powerful question if you're able to dig in deep enough to get information and you have flexibility on your side of things to meet what might be an attractive settlement period for an owner. Is there a standard settlement period in Queensland? Yeah, 30 days. Yeah, see, in, in New South Wales, it's 42. In 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 Victoria, they just say it's sort of 30, 60 or 90, sort of take a pick. But, <laughs> but even so, you know, you can have a standard, but but on our contract to sale in New South Wales, it's not unusual to see a 12-week settlement period or 96-day settlement period. Or a specific date. When you see a specific date is a dead giveaway that they've purchased. They've purchased, they need a contemporaneous settlement. Yeah, and 28 or 35-day settlements, they usually do give away that they've purchased as well. So there's little hints you can get even in asking that question, even if you think the agent isn't being really forthcoming with the previous question. Yeah, but that question can force the agent to have a conversation with the owner that they haven't had yet. So the agent actually might not really know the seller's true motivation until the right question is asked that forces a conversation between the owner and the agent that actually reveals, well, actually what's happening is... You know, so that sometimes the the facade that the owner has for the agent isn't broken down until they have a realistic opportunity to say, actually, what we need is, you know, that's human nature to protect yourself. But it's funny though because you th- really switched on agents. They are all over this stuff. They know it all, right? And others that aren't that switched on do. Oh, I don't know. I'll go and ask, you know. So, and you're just never going to have any choice as to what type of agent is selling the property that you want to buy. So, therefore, but don't go boring the pants off them asking all these questions on a property you're not even interested in, right? Save these questions for properties that you really are showing interest in. You do not want to get the reputation of being a tire kicker. And agents go, oh, yes, that person, they the bore the pants off me asking up. all these questions about properties they're never going to buy. You don't want to be that buyer. Yeah. Good, such good advice. Remember, it's a collaborative conversation. (laughs) 
respectful. Yeah, navigating the process of buying a first home can be really, really exciting, right? But it's also challenging. But by asking the right questions of the real estate agent, you can gather the information that you need to make the best decision for you. And remember to engage in those collaborative conversations that we talked about. It's not about, you know, holding your cards so close to your chest that you give nothing away. That's not a conversation. And our recent podcast was in our bad advice series was um, the bad advice was don't tell the agent anything. And we go into why it's important to actually share something with the agent. Very but if you don't in- understand something, like don't hesitate to seek clarification, and in- particularly in terms of the buying process. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now, armed with these questions, you're well on your way to gathering a lot of the information you will need to evaluate a property. And and in your first home buyer guide, that is module seven. Now we've got ten modules in this course, right? It's really step by step and steps you out and and helps you work through the process of buying a property in the safest and most efficient way property as a way uh, possible. But a quick note, you know, this course only costs $990 and you get direct access to us to help guide you through your negotiations. So trust me, (laughs) we're real estate agents. (laughs) Stop it. Trust me, you will give the agent a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. Oh my God, yes, you will. (laughs) In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.